Welcome to the weekly podcast of Upper Room Christian Fellowship in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for listening. We are in Romans chapter 3. We're going through, if you will, the last of these hard verses. If you would... Turn to chapter 3, and let's stand for the reading of the Word of God. Starting at verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There's none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word, even when it's hard to hear at times. But my prayer is for each of us to understand something more deeper and more richer. Lord, something that is so powerful, so magnificent, and so wonderful. Something that would change our lives. Something that would change our destiny. The truth of your word will speak to us. We pray, Holy Spirit, teach us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Court of Law is in session. Picture, if you will, the white throne judgment of God. See all humanity stand before God. Now, there's a lot of people on this earth who like to judge God. But God's going to give 14 indictments to the world. And really, if you will, just let's go through them. First of all, if you notice in verse 9, he says this, What then, are we better than they? Speaking of the Jews, no, not at all, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks, or Gentiles, Jews, and whenever it says Greeks, just remember that's the whole world. Nobody else. The Jews and the rest of the world. That they're all under sin. Now, as is written from verses from 10 through 18, he's quoting the Old Testament. These are all quotes. And he's just going to pound them. Boom, 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 boom. And he starts off with, it is written, all these, none. Number one, excuse me. Number one, none. It's a primary word. It's the absolute negative. None are righteous. Number two, verse 11. None who understands. 
God and their predicament. Remember, we already read this in Romans 1. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man, birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So none understands God or their predicament. Number three, none who seeks after God. William MacDonald writes, Left to himself, fallen man would never seek God. Let me repeat that. Left to himself, fallen man would never seek God. Verse 12, number 4. They have all turned aside. That word turn aside means to turn oneself away. Avoid. They've all turned aside, avoiding God. Number five, they've all together become unprofitable. That word means useless, rendered, unserviceable. Number six, none who does good. That word does, it means to be the authors of the cause of. We're not talking about a random act of good. We're talking about the cause of it. It's not sustainable, as the word is used so much nowadays. It's not consistent. It's not prevalent. If you will, when somebody does something good and the interior motive is pure, then that really is an amazing miracle. Because typically humanity does good for an ulterior motive. See, the point is here is remember this. God sees all this. This is God's perspective. God's looking at man and man. Who are you, man? Stand before me. Let me tell you what you think, what you feel, what you do. You're all guilty. If you will, the gravel sets down. Verse 13, now he deals with man's words. The throat is an open tomb. Now think about that. Graves open, caskets are open. You sit there and and you see dead people. What's going to happen? You're going to see corruption. A stench. Basically he's saying, out of your speech is nothing but corruption and evil. Tongues practice deceit. It's full of lies. Who here among us has never lied? Poisoned lips. Words full of venom. Words that hurt others. Words that you've been hurt by. We throw them around as if it's confetti. Nothing to it. Verse 14. Number 10, full of cursing and bitterness, hatred, anger, envy, jealousy. Verse 15, feet are swift to shed blood, violence, war, murder. Notice it's from the heart. We went from, if you will, the tongue and now to the feet, from head to toe. God is declaring us all guilty. Guilty. Verse 16, destruction and misery, this is number 12, are in their ways. There's two ways of looking at this, and they're both right. They lead nothing but destruction and misery wherever they go. And their wake is nothing but disaster. The second way of looking at this is it's a metaphorical word. It means way of thinking, feeling, and deciding. 
Guilty. 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 Verse 13, number 7, verse 17, number 13. The way, that word is the same word we just read, which means a way of thinking, feeling, and deciding. The way of peace, harmony with themselves and others they don't know. There's no peace. You know, there's been just few years of peace throughout humanity, the history of the human race, and yet really if you look at domestic violence and what was going on even in cities and such, there was never any peace. There's never any peace, ever, guilty. Verse 18, no fear of God, no reverence, no respect, no awe of God, their eyes and sights of who God is. Again, this is quoted really Psalm 36. David wrote this. It says, Oracle within my heart concerning the transgressions of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Proverbs says it this way. In mercy and truth and atonement is provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord one departs from evil. But when there is no fear of the Lord, then there is no way evil to depart. Because again, man is guilty. He's full of wickedness. Guilty. Fourteen charges. Verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. There is no one able to keep the law. God is declaring, be silenced before me. All humanity. Habakkuk puts it this way. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. In Galatians 3.10 it says. For as many as are of the works of law are under the curse. For it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law. To do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. Why? Because all are guilty. Guilty. In Ezekiel 16, God declares, And I will establish my covenant with you. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be ashamed, and never open your mouth anymore. Because of your shame, when I provide you an atonement for all you've done, says the Lord God. Guilty. All humanity stands before God, and all humanity, when that great white judgment comes, will be silent before God, for there is no hope in man. Now, understand something. When Jesus was on this earth, and he told his disciples it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, to them, the rich were those that were blessed by God. They were the righteous ones. If they couldn't go to heaven, then who could? So that was the natural question. The disciples centered and said, to the great astonishment, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, it is impossible with man. But with God, all things are possible. See, the gravel went down, all guilty. You can't come to me. There's no way. Why? Because here's how you come to me. Be perfect. But you can't be perfect. So what I'm about to do is going to make you cover your mouth in shame. But also, 
if you will, if you hear it and you have ears to hear, it'll open your heart to an amazing story. See, really, if you will, to me, the key of all this is just one simple thing. None seek after God. No, not one. You didn't seek after God, neither did I. Why? Because of yourself, you can't. It's impossible. Why? Because you are dead in your sin. And the God that you really do worship is yourself. It started in the garden. You shall be as God. And it continues to this day. We worship ourselves. And when ourselves do not meet our criteria, when ourselves do not meet the person that we want to be, then that's where the mental, the emotional, the distress that comes to a soul. Where's their hope? Listen to the Word of God. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. You didn't seek me. I sought you out. And Hosea 11.4 says, I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped and I fed them. In Matthew 11.27, Jesus says, All things have been delivered to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal himself. Drawing us near to him, the Son revealing himself. Jesus goes on to say, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. Christ has redeemed us, Galatians 3 says, 10 through 14, from the curse of law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 15 through 16, the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, This is my covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and their minds. I will write them. In Philippians 1.29, Paul says this, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. What's your part in salvation? It's a mystery, if you will. It's not that you came to an epiphany and all of a sudden said, Oh, God, I'm seeking you. I found you. There used to be a bumper sticker many years ago that says, I found him. No, you didn't. He was the one seeking you out. He stands in front of all of us and says, I'm here and I'm drawing you with my loving kindness. But you must see how I'm drawing you. It's not by your works. It's not by anything you can do. I've done it, and I know you have. But this is a time for us to think, as we come to the communion table, this is a gift that you have been given. Your understanding is a gift. You coming to the Lord is a gift. God's called you. 
God's loved you. God says yes to you. And if you will, it's as if we were blind. Groping in the dark, if you will. And then the Son of God comes. And he looks right at us and says, do you want to see? Do you want to know? And in our desperation, he says, yes, Lord. I want to see. In Titus chapter 3, verses 3 and 5, Paul writes, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy and hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit. It's God's work. God's done it. We were blind, now we see. We were alone in the dark, and he came and became our light. The joy that should be in our hearts should be tremendous. Life that is now in us should be magnified. See, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, purpose in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, and that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom also having been believed, you have sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise and for His glory. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Oh, let's not get to the point that of course He chose you. No. I can't figure out why in God's great earth He chose you. But don't worry, I know you're looking at me and saying the same thing. I have nothing. And maybe that's it. Maybe we're the ones that came to that conclusion of being blind and saying, I need help. I need something beyond me. I am not a God, I'm a man or I'm a woman and I cannot. Now what does he do? He gives us everything. The inheritance that is awaiting for us in His presence is beyond our imagination. For eye has not seen or ear heard things that God has prepared for those who love Him. And we can't even boast of our love because we love Him because He first loved us. As we come to the communion table, these are the things that we have to really, if you will, be amazed about. <laughs> Put our hands over our mouth and be silent. 
nothing to boast about here. Not myself. Not anything to glory in about myself. There's a lot to praise Him for. and There's a lot to give Him glory. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of David. See, what David did, he, he came with this idea. He, he built himself a house and then he was sitting in that glorious house. And he's thinking, I'm sitting here in luxury and, and my Lord, he's still in the tent. I know. I'll build him a temple. Nathan the prophet said, go for it. Sounds good. Sounds great. That night, the Lord said to Nathan, mm -mm. this is what I want you to tell me. That he's not going to build me a house. I'm going to build him a house. A legacy. Covenants. That will be everlasting. When David heard this, listen, he went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord? Who am I? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? That should be on all of our hearts this morning. Who am I? Oh, what amazing God. Think with me. He chose you before the foundations of your world. For you did good or bad. Even knowing that you would be even though that you would never seek him out. So he sought you out. Everything that you're trying to achieve in your life is nothing but hay and stubble. When you come down to it, if it's done in the flesh, see, the only thing that lasts that's worth it is just like the song we just sang. Christ in through us is the only thing that lasts. And what's the exchange? Oh, eternity. In His presence. An inheritance that's beyond our imagination as we already spoke of. The place that we can call home. The place that we can find our rest. Our peace. A place where we shall be loved. Just because of the goodness of who God is, and because of His loving kindness towards us. Really, the mindset, what should be? Why you? Who am I? Why me? Paul understood this. Listen to his words, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 and 14. Listen. It's not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I press on to figure out why did he grab on to me? Why me? If you will, the chief of sinners. Because I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, I forget about those things which are behind me. 
And I'm reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press forward the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, we get so hung up on our failures. God already knew you were a failure. We get so hung up on our sin, and God already knew you were a sinner. We get so hung up on what we think we should be doing, and yet God has a perfect plan for each of us, what we need to be doing, and that's what's important. And if you will, Mary again gives us a little clue. Just sit on his feet, worship, and listen. Wow. See, it's time as we, as we come to the communion table for all of us just to be amazed. Why you? Why me, Lord? What is it that you have planned for me? Help me to stop hindering it and help me to come before you at this communion table to be amazed that you chose me. Knowing that I had no way to get to you. I was blind and I was lost. And if you came by way of me, you can ask each of us, do you believe in me? Do you believe what I've done? You receive signs. I'm following. So as you take this time, just ask that each of us will spend a quiet time in amazement. The Lord is speaking to your heart, building you a house. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for the truth that we have heard. Lord, I pray for each of us that this would be a turning point for each. That we would renew, Lord. The strength of our faith in you, not in ourselves. That it's not by our works or anything that we've done, but you've done it all. And Lord, we understand from this time forth that anything that we do that's of worth, it's you through us. You be glorified, you be honored. Lord, help each of us from this day forward seek out to hold on to the reason why you hold on to us. And that your purposes be fulfilled in each of our lives. And Lord, my prayer for each of us that we come away from this morning joyful, rejoicing, not ashamed, but rejoicing in the God who loves us, the God that has paid it all, the God that has redeemed us from the curse, something that we could never have done, never paid the debt, but you did for us, for eternity. And for that, Lord, we rejoice. This morning and every day. We pray that you would take this time, Lord, as we engage this sacrament, this blessing, this reminder of what you've done. And let it be a reminder to us, Lord, that you paid it off. That we are chosen by you. And it was your love that drew us. And it's your truth that holds us. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you.